Everyone, welcome to the MMA on Point podcast. This is a very special podcast because, of course, we have a friend in the studio that is far beyond anybody that we thought we would get in the studio. So, and studio is kind of a funny way to put it. It's really just through Skype uh, live here on YouTube. So, but uh, first, um, uh, my name is Jason. So, I'm the co founder of MMA on Point, and Tom, as always, say hi, Tom. <laughs> hi, guys. How's it going? <laughs> there he is. And then, of course, uh, we have UFC play-by-play commentator um, who is actually here uh, right now who is kind enough to make time out of his day during a very busy schedule. So tell us a little bit about your day. What's been up? Uh, you, you seem to be in a, a different setup there than normal. Yeah, I'm waiting for my prey uh, in a car park, apparently. No, that's <laughs> not I was at the uh, BT Sports Studios over here. UK fans will be very familiar with BT Sport. They are the network partner for the UFC. And we were doing uh, some stuff with EA Sports uh, for the UFC, UFC 3 game with a bunch of YouTube influencers, uh, some uh, professional football soccer players over here. Very fun day, but their Wi-Fi is terrible and like a lockdown on all mobile data. So the only place I could get some kind of connectivity is in my car under some fluorescent lights in a car park. Um, so it's huge how I'm looking right now. Uh, yes, but that's where I am. And it's been, it's been a fun day, a long day, but a fun day. Yeah, pretty ironic for a, uh, a game studio to have bad Wi-Fi, right? But, but um, yeah, it's their studios where all of their television content goes out. But I guess there's so much going on that they don't want like my mobile device Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, um, and one thing I do want to mention before we get to this, towards the uh, the end of everything, what we'll do is we'll go ahead and answer all of your questions um, on Twitter that you sent to our hashtag, which is just hashtag MMA on point. Um, we have somebody live tweeting all the way throughout, so feel free to interact with us on Twitter as well. And then, of course, we've got the live chat going. So did want to make sure to mention that, get your questions in. We will get to them by the end, but uh, I'll throw it to Tom. Tom, you want to go ahead and get us started? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much, Jason. What a wonderful intro as well. You're getting better and better as we go on. Uh, One of the (laughs) the main things that I wanted to chat about, John, was actually, um, I'm sure that a lot of people are really interested in in, uh, your your background and uh, where you grew up, how you got into mixed martial arts, and obviously some of the memories of of maybe seeing uh, maybe your first mixed martial arts event or even the UFC for the first time. Yeah, well, it's uh, been a little while now. Um, in terms, I mean, mixed, uh, sorry, martial arts and combat sports has been a part of my life for a very long time. I was like a competitive judo player when I was about seven, seven or eight. Uh, used to compete regionally, nationally a couple of times as well. Um, got Moved on from that to karate. My uncle uh, took me to a karate class. He is now still, he's like 55. He's a third down in Shotokan karate. Wow. Wow. Uh, and uh, but I, I didn't get anywhere near that that level. And then I then I took up boxing. Actually, I did national ABAs. I only had a few bouts, but uh, I was training wow. pretty hard whilst I was at uni. And yet yeah, from there, none of my friends have really been into combat sports. And I missed that connection with with my circle. And I was always training just with other people. They weren't they were friendly friends, but they're teammates. So I went back to playing a lot of football and um, then just politics and a bunch of other stuff and lo and behold the pull of combat sports presented itself again and i found a 
a place in London where I did Muay Thai and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, finally found an MMA gym near a home. Um, was training with uh, Mark Chen, who was a Jess Laudan uh, student. He was uh, a guy who fought in the UFC many moons ago. Mm-hmm. And I eventually ended up under the wing of uh, David Lee, who, again, has, has fought in the UFC a couple of times uh, down in Watford, which is very near uh, where I live. And I've been there ever since, you know, on and off. I've had a lot of injuries, still injured. I'm still getting a lot of treatment, but <laughs> I still try and train, you know, three times a week, um, putting the gi on these days as well. Uh, MMA sparring with some of the young pros that we've got coming up. So mm. I like to, it's still very much part of who I am. So I like to be active. I think it helps with my commentary, gives me confidence. Uh, when I'm behind that mic, I see things a little bit quicker. And yeah, so that's that's kind of that's kind of my background in in mixed martial arts. So and and, and being such a uh, being such a uh, I guess participant, being such a fan of combat sports in general, what was it that that kind of brought you into broadcasting? I know you've been very open in the past about uh, injuries, kind of taking you in to 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 uh, being behind the scenes and and being in the, in the broadcast position. But uh, how, where did that transition come? At what time did you go from being being the the competitor being the corner man being being a part of a team to then yeah. broadcasting these events yeah well so dave my coach who i mentioned uh, started to burn on a show a local show in watford it's uh, the coliseum and a channel had set a digital channel small channel sent down a reporter to do a piece on the event she did some uh, behind the scenes stuff and backstage reporting and it was just I watched it back and it was just insulting. You know, it's everything you didn't want the sport to be represented by. Mm. And I said to Dave, I was like, look, I I actually used to harbor ambitions of being a presenter back when I was about 22. I quit my job to work for the BBC and I was like a junior researcher doing various bits and pieces like that. But it never quite worked out for me. Mm. I definitely wasn't ready when I look back. And um, he said, well, we don't, we have no control over what this channel puts out, but, why don't we do some commentary? Because the guys, we can sell a, a DVD. Uh, it wasn't about profiteering. It was just, we can put a camera on the action, but it would be in, it would be interesting if, they, if you put some words to it as well. And I kind of thought, okay, we'll give it a go. So really, it was just me with a dictaphone, um, a microphone. And I would, and I did this for many years. I would, I was with amateur fighters. There was no record. They, they've done nothing before. So... Mm. I would either visit their gyms if they had a number of guys. Wow. I would go to the gym. Mm. I would track them, hang out on the mat, uh, find out the story, see how they felt, um, where they were at. And then if that failed or there was only one guy from a gym, I'd be running around backstage while they were getting their hands wrapped, you know, trying mm. to find things for stay during the walkout. <laughs> and it was a one-man booth. And, um, I mean, I, I look back at those days uh, fondly, you know. I, I think I've... That's given me a very strong understanding of grassroots level mm. of telling the story because I don't, I, I'd like to think that, that that's a big part of my commentary so that fans can connect with the the person, not just the fighter. There's so many more layers, layers to these um, men and women that get inside and compete. And that was very much born out of, you know, that's how I approach my research. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that, that's how it, that's how it happened. And, on one of my visits to uh, train with some guys down at the MMA clinic, Graham Boylan ran that gym. He was starting up his own promotion. Um, 
shortly after that, Cage Warriors asked Graham to front the the new kind of the newly ignited uh, Cage Warriors, and and he he took me with him, which I was very grateful for because he could have chosen anyone, mm-hmm. and that really I then became one of the most um, regular working guys on the scene and, and that put me in a strong position when the UFC decided to expand. Uh, so it's truly an amazing, uh, amazing story. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, of course, was Cage Warriors. And what do you think was it was about Cage Warriors that was so special? Because when you when you look back at um, the Brit- the British MMA scene back in the, the early 2000s, it had quite a, a negative connotation. It still really does have a yeah. negative con- connotation. I did a, a video fairly recently called Why Isn't Mixed Martial Arts More Popular uh, in the UK? And I mean, when you, when you look at Michael Bisping winning the UFC middleweight title uh, in 2016, there was still more hype around Alex Reed, a, bi- a, a big brother contestant and who'd been dating Katie, uh, what was her name, Katie... Uh, Katie, Katie Price. And then he went on and fought uh, Tom Kong Watson at Bama 4. And that was all over the headlines. And people were talking about that fight all the time, but it still had this negative cage fighting connotation. And it, yeah. it'd be quite interesting to hear and for the fans to hear what it, what it was actually like being behind the scenes in the British MMA scene back in the early 2000s or even uh, in the two, uh, 2010s. Yeah, it was frustrating, um, but then it gave you a very clear ambition and direction. So I knew how I would like to see the sport perceived and as part of a team. And this is where I think I'm different and where fans might not. They might not kind of get me or understand me, but I'm part of a fight team. Like mm. I see guys, grassroots guys that would dream every single day. They dream of being able to to lace up the gloves and train full time. Uh, get a shot at one of the big organizations where they would actually get paid some decent money so they didn't have to work a shift, train, work another shift, go home, see their family or not see their family. It's a grind, you know, Mm. and I see the amount of effort, the blood, sweat and tears that goes into it. And no one's who's representing them. Of course, there were other people. I'm I'm not going to say that I was the only guy. I certainly wasn't. And there were some really good guys in the scene, like guys like Jay Furness. um, And he was running a site at the time. There were a lot of good people. It's just no one had a big audience. Mm. Um, then Cage Warriors were given a great budget. Let's let's not you know let's not ignore that. They were given a great budget so they could put on regular shows. Mm. And Graham, whether he did it by luck or brilliant judgment, got some fantastic people involved. You know, he made sure that he had Mark Goddard um, very closely aligned with with Cage yeah. Warriors in terms of how he would lead this, the safety briefings, the rules, um, the, that kind of direction. Uh, Ian Dean, uh, for those who don't know Ian Dean, the guy is a matchmaking genius. He is like the oracle of, of European and probably international MMA. Mm. And, I, and I, I think that Ian Dean has been a, a key with the progression um, and the consistency of, of Cage Warriors. You know, I, I, he's helped me a lot in my career. I can't say enough good things about him. So he's like the Joe Silver, but over on this side of the pond. Mm. And, uh, and and I say I've got a hell of a lot of respect for Joe Silver. Everyone knows what he's accomplished. So, yeah, Ian's a very, a very uh, key man in in European mixed martial arts. Mm. So when you have that, you have that that regularity, that consistent number of shows. And we're going around to crazy places. It does create a bit of a stir. And then, 
to have people show up and put on put on good fights and and we did you know stars were born connor was born mm. joe duffy rosie sexton was there well, i mean so many more and i'm going to insult people if i if i don't mention them but a lot <laughs> of people came through that promotion at that time and, mm. and they all played a, a significant part but honestly the ufc and and mma fans are different like i did a it's actually funny because uh, i went on bt sport for uh, it was who was fighting it was a manchester event so i think it was mark munoz uh, fighting um the dragon and i was on set here and i got death threats and, and wow. it was quite awful you know the fans absolutely hammered me because they didn't know who i was mm. and wow. i thought giving a, a decent account of uh, mixed martial arts but they just didn't want me there and uh, and i thought that my career was finished at that point if i'm honest which was very worrying because i i never thought i'd get to the ufc but i certainly didn't want to burn any any opportunities so, um, so I very quickly found out that UFC fans and MMA fans, they're, they're not one and the same, mm. you know. So we still have a lot of work to do. And, uh, and really, you, it, it needs to come. It's weird, but it's top down. Mm. Things are built from the ground up. But yeah. the UFC takes responsibility and they put the infrastructures in place. And again, I don't think they always get the credit, you know, with their drug testing. Right. With, federations this and that costs a hell of a lot of money and the maintenance of that hmm. and, and so they're doing their best to try and trickle down and make this work and then sort of underpin stuff at the same time uh yeah but it's but i i'd like to think that they're making good moves and you know we just keep on doing what we can do you hmm. know and, and fight the good fight represent the sport the way that we believe is correct and I, i'd like to think i represent it the right way absolutely um, and, uh, and and sort of here we are. I mean, very quickly as well. I know that Jason probably has some questions as well. Um, so I'll no. kind of <laughs> no questions. Um, no. One of the so I mean, you've done a ton of shows, obviously Cage Warriors. But I did a bit of digging, and one of the main things I wanted to ask you, and I've watched a bunch of videos as well on it today, um, because it is. It is bizarre, but obviously Kentish Town uh, is really famous for putting on some some great events at the HMV Forum, uh, from music yeah. to sport all over the place. But one thing I had never heard of that is in uh, that that something you've commentated on was Models Fight Night. <laughs> now, what I what gig <laughs> that was, right? What I'd love <laughs> I, I'd love it if you could just sort of explain to the uh, to the to the viewers what Models Fight Night is and what your involvement was uh, in that event. Real yeah. quick. Real quick, yeah. I, I feel like you saw that coming because you started smiling about 10 seconds before he finished the question. Well, <laughs> Did you I'm know glad, what he was about to say? Well, I'm glad it was that and nothing more sinister that I'd forgotten to erase. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Modern Fight Nights. Again, uh, I, I have to thank Graham Boylan for introducing me to uh, someone called Jess Lewis who, uh, or Monica Harris. She goes under both names. And she was a model who was always working for charitable causes and there was someone now i got i really hope i get this right i think her name was katie piper um but anyway she, a very famous case in the uk my, the hairs are standing up on my end this it's really affected me this poor girl who was a model was um attacked with acid by by her ex-boyfriend and basically suffered such the level of scarring was absolutely unbelievable 
anyway, she set up a foundation and, uh, and Monica or, or Jess decided that she wanted to do something for that. Um, she is such an inspiration. Both of these women are very inspirational. And they looked around at their circle, pulled a bunch of people in, and they just had boxing at the, at the uh, HMV forum um, in, in aid of this charity. So when Graham asked me if I'd like to be involved, it was, it was a great cause. But look, it was also a really good bit of fun, you know, watching beautiful women um, <laughs> go through a training camp um, do genuine boxing training and then throw down. And some of them were really good and they, they were not holding back. Wow. Um, and it was a really good attendance. And, I, and I'm proud to say I was, I was part of it. It was, it was good fun. And, and I actually still speak to uh, some of those, some of the women uh, that were involved in that. So one of them's a huge um, Instagram YouTube star, uh, Brooklyn. And, uh, and I still speak to, uh, to Monica Harris as well, who's making a name for her. So she's a, a devout, vegan she's very spiritual uh, she's trying to do good things in the world as, as well so uh, i'm always supporting her work mm. oh well i mean i had no idea that something like that wow. could come from uh, something so, so sweet and genuine um yeah. models fight yeah. night man i wish that was yeah. still around actually that would um that would be great I mean, it's a shame that it didn't sort of kick off in a big way but uh, anyways i'll pass you over to jason uh jason do you have any questions yeah, so I actually had a really interesting question. So there's been a lot of shifting around with commentators, especially lately with play-by-play, -play, or uh, rather color commentary. Yeah. So we got guys like Jimmy Smith are coming over now. Last year we had Mora Ronaldo and Goldie go over to Bellator. And something I've always noticed, and I think a lot of this conversation, a lot of people were wondering who was going to replace Goldberg. And I, I don't know that anyone necessarily did. I, I think it's just more so been a conglomeration. But one of the questions that it's really raised up in my mind is what is actually play-by-play? -play? And I, I swear I'm going to get around to actually asking a pointed question at the end of this. But So when you look at something like three-man booths, like John Anik has gone on record saying that that's very challenging to do live. Yeah. And I can totally understand that. And when you watch somebody like Jim Lampley do an HBO card, for instance, you'll hear him doing more of a traditional play-by-play -play where he's saying, oh, left jab, right hook, uppercut. He'll be saying things as it's happening, almost like the old days, you know, when you'd be listening to something on the radio, you're explaining yeah. everything for the viewer at home. And I've noticed in MMA, it doesn't necessarily work that way. And in some ways, the roles are actually reversed because typically – the most practitioner, you know, the, the, the person who's most experienced is that color commentator. So when it comes down to most of those techniques being broken down, and it depends on who's doing it, you kind of see uh, a bit of, it almost feels like sometimes the play-by-play -play is, uh, I guess, kind of directing the broadcast, so to speak. And I don't yeah. know, uh, I'm curious to get your take on what the role is in MMA as opposed to other sports, because on the outside, from a layman's point of view, it appears to be much different. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a very difficult role, uh, apparently. I mean, I'm not going to speak <laughs> from a bunch of experience because I haven't done a lot of other sports, but I've had sure. producers and directors who have done the Olympics and uh, you know Champions League football over here. They've sat in the production truck and they've had their mind blown. And they've actually said wow. to me, you will never do a more complicated broadcast in sports ever. Wow. Which was quite, quite nice for me to hear because obviously yeah. I, I'm handling it to a certain extent. Um, 
but yeah, listen, it's it, I, I've got to be really careful with with how I answer this um, <laughs> because I think we all do it a little differently. Now, sure. you used to see that Goldie and uh, Joe would they'd almost split the role. So if if the fight was stood up, then Goldie might call the action, but when mm -hmm. it went to the ground, uh, Joe would call it. But I'm an MMA guy, like I'm like a like a new breed of fighter where. I know what's going on in the transition. So any other any other play-by-play -play lead commentator would talk you through whether it's standing up, wrestling, or if it's hit the mat. So that's the way I approach it. Now, yeah. you also have to measure whoever's sitting next to you and you have to play into their strengths because it's not about you. It's about getting the very best out of one another to entertain the audience. So there's a bit yeah. of fun tuning that goes on and you know some if there was a, a strict book then i think we're a lot of us are doing it wrong at times you know sure. dan might start calling the play-by-play -play, and then all of a sudden i'll just naturally find myself almost analyzing that technique so we we sort of flip it about a little bit but i don't go too deep um which is why i think people haven't told me to shut up we're not interested in your opinion um no. i i it puts a fear of God in me doing a three-man booth. You know, it's, I think the play-by-play -play guy is muted quite a lot because you've got two superstars that you're sitting next to. Right. Just difficult. Like, how do you navigate that water? And yeah, it's, there's a hell of a lot of traffic in the broadcast as well. So we get, we get people in our ear the whole time telling us what promos are coming up. We've got a guy that sits next to us that helps us out with that as well. Wow. I, didn't have one of those guys for like the first year and a half so i wow. was introducing myself whilst in that position which was really really tough and and it took a while to figure it out just because we didn't have anyone in the uk who understood the way that the machine worked um but i'm thankful that the ufc have found me a couple of people that you know that do the american broadcast and and we have producers over here now that that are into it so so things are a lot easier for me now and uh, yeah, I mean, I'll keep my thoughts to myself on the three-man booth because of that. Just because I would, you're a broadcaster, you work so hard to prepare for something that you want to, you want to get as much of that information out. There's always stuff left on the table, but yeah, I mean, I look at the way that John handles it, and man, that guy is so slick. And yeah, it's difficult for people to judge if you haven't been in that position. And I'm telling you now, anyone that does that, that role. I have a lot of respect for them because it's uh, in terms of broadcasting, it is tricky and um, and we all feel the pressure and the fans are so passionate, which is brilliant. And that's why we love the sport and why we interact with with the fan base. But if you get it wrong, they let you know. And um, and if you're just an honest, if you're just honest, John from mm. Watford and you're just trying to do a good thing, mm. yeah. you know that that can hurt. You know, you have to yeah. learn deal with that but that's you know that's mm. that's the nature of 21st century stuff i guess oh yeah the well, way you, yeah you don't you don't have to tell us as well because uh that <laughs> we get told a bunch we, we get told uh all the time so yeah yeah um so i am curious though so you say you have multiple people in your ear how many people would you say because i mean does it fluctuate d during certain parts oh, of the broadcast you have more sorry. people less people it's not. It's normally one guy. It's normally one oh, okay. guy, and then you you get a second guy, uh, but then you have a third guy sitting next to you Producer. who helps out with managing that traffic. Um, mm -hmm. 
But uh, yeah, it's it's pretty hairy out there. It, it's like sailing choppy waters in a storm. Some fights, <laughs> some fight cards go a lot more smooth than others. You know, technically, when we go into certain areas um, where you know the setup isn't quite as advanced, um, mm. then it gets challenging again. You know, I typically do international events where it's a different crew. They haven't done one for a couple of years, and and so all of these things. When you're the guy at the at the coalface then it's all funneling through you you know and if there's stuff going on in your ear you guys don't know that but i right. sound like everything's fine hmm. um but you know we have an unbelievable crew for the ufc hmm. those guys what what they do the sacrifice behind the scenes as well these guys are touring around the world show to show the energy that they have to do their job and and to deliver what the the UFC office you know ask of them, uh, we're a big team trying to trying to pull in the same direction. And every time I'm blown away by how they consistently keep up that level of quality. Hmm. Yeah, and it's it's kind of funny that you're talking about the difficulty of what it's like to have somebody in your ear because um, I can't even remember where I saw this. It was on some sort of documentary, and it was probably on Fight Pass, but. They were talking about Bill Wallace, and of course, Bill Wallace was the guy who on the very first UFC started off the show, and he kind of flubbed it up, where he's like, welcome to McNichols Arena, you know, he like kind of like, he like kind of like chokes in the middle of it. Um, right. So it, it was, uh, it was one of those situations where, um, from what, from what the documentary had said that he didn't necessarily have the experience of having somebody in his ear. So yeah. there were points during the broadcast where he's looking up because he's listening. He's focusing yeah. on what he's hearing, and he's like, "No, you got to keep talking." Yeah. So um, I can only imagine what it is that you're going through on a, a daily basis, and I think it's just an absolutely fascinating thing. And I think for somebody like Tom and I, who are very into new media and right. you know all this kind of stuff, it's very fascinating to hear that stuff. But I think what um, everybody else is probably uh, really interested in um, is, of course, the cards coming up. Right. Um, so we've got uh, a couple of cards this weekend, and I'm also interested to get your thoughts on uh, Bellator 192. But um, so you guys did Inside the Octagon. And for the people out there that are watching this that haven't seen Inside the Octagon, of course, it's on the UFC's main channel. So you can look it up. It's uh, it happened. I want to say it was on Monday or Tuesday this week, somewhere around there. But yeah. uh, fantastic breakdown. And of course, it's you and Dan Hardy doing it. And I'm curious to you, um, uh, you know, without, you know, me telling them what you guys said, I'm curious to get what did you glean from that? And then what did you feel like going into specifically the Nganu fight versus Stipe, which is the one you guys talked about on that? What are some of the things that you took away from that that you think that fan should keep an eye out for? Um, well, I think that we both felt that the, uh, the narrative, like everyone had been listening hard to, Francis Ngannou, you know, he had yeah. fought recently. He's hot right now. So naturally, he's he's at the forefront of your mind. Um, he is a bit of an enigma. He physically, what you see is this just huge athlete who is putting people away. And then to finish someone like Alistair Overeem, who is an all-time great, you know, and not just MMA. The guy is, is a fighting genius. To do what he did to him, this my jaw was on the floor. So a, a lot of people are, have been talking about Ngannou, but 
the champion wasn't getting as many column inches. He's been out for a little while. I get that. So he, he's not there. But I think we kind of had to remind people that you can't count out the champ. Yeah. You know, the, the champ is the champ for a reason. He's had a really hard road to get there as well. Learned some lessons, gone into enemy territory, won the belt. I was there that night. Unbelievable occasion. Um, and he can do it all. And we, it wasn't long ago when everyone's kind of talking about Stipe Miocic as the new, he is the form, he's the guy, you know, that that's the blueprint. And now Francis Ngannou is a very different blueprint on paper and, and if you were to, you know, carve him out of wood. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, we, we looked at that and, uh, and Dan, went, like he very early on in that episode was saying, look, you know, I think we need to remind everyone about Stipe and actually started looking back through his resume, looked at how Ngannou's knockout rates compared to some of the other opponents of Stipe Miocic, because, of course, he's fought many knockout specialists before. And actually, Ngannou was way down the list. Um, I won't ruin it for people. But we're very proud right. of our by the Octagon um, program. We, we love doing it. I love working with Dan, obviously. Um, and uh, we talk loads about it. And, and Dan's just got such a fascinating fight brain. Um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of what we were looking at, you know, reminding people about the dangers of Stipe. Not of, of course, we were going back over what Ngannou's achieved in this short time. And, you know, the guy's phenomenal as a European to see someone from over this side of the, of the water get so much success very quickly. Hmm. Plus that the, the, um, the connection to Africa as well, which fascinates me. Yeah. I, I, really, I kind of see myself as a bit of a man of the world and, We've got a lot of um, African fighters, guys who have either come from there or, or have um, African families, and they're getting a lot of success. And, and I think more will definitely come. So, so yeah, I love seeing the international nature of the sport flourish. Um, new big stars, and, and yeah, what a fight, you know. Mm. And then you look down, one of the things that I finished the show with was we could have a Swiss champion and a, and a Cameroon-born champion. Oh, man. But, time next week mm. man yeah so um yeah and so obviously when you guys are doing that you know dan is looking at this frame by frame and he's got that beautiful lovely screen where he can just touch everything and say all right stop look you know point everything out so yeah. um and in the the vein of what you were saying i don't want to spoil everything but there are some absolutely mind-shattering statistics when you look at that stuff it's just things you don't think about that is just really, really crazy. Um, so uh, I think that's really interesting. But uh, Tom, before we moved on, because I was, I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts on Vulcan and uh, Cormier in a minute. But did you have any questions about that fight uh, with Ngannou? Um, I mean, it was so well summed up there. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's just a fascinating fight. It's a fascinating fight because Ngannou, who's been hyped up like a monster, and obviously he is this mon absolute just destroyer absolute destroyer um but then again stipe as you said has just had this incredible path he seems like this well-rounded champion that just where do you beat him um but uh but no i'm i'm, I'm happy to to sort of move on to uh, the cormier fight for sure sure and one other thing i did want to interject there just because i don't think enough people are thinking about this on the stipe side of things I think a, a lot of people, and Stipe has even said this himself, to where he thinks like the UFC wants Ngannou to win because they're promoting Ngannou so much. But the way I've taken that is, 
if if you beat Ngannou and he's got all this hype behind him, that just elevates you 10 times more. And that's the way yeah. I always have seen it is anytime there's somebody that's getting a ton of hype and you smash that person, especially if he knocks him out, does it in some sort of breathtaking manner that yeah. only helps him. So I, um, I, I wish that was being said a little bit more, especially when somebody's being really pushed because that only, in my opinion, helps you. Uh, but it, sometimes it hurts the guys, you know, lower in the rankings. But in this case, he's the obvious number one. It's not like he jumped the shark or anything. So Yeah. I think it's, it's also worth saying that if Francis Ngannou was still in Paris, mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, I don't oh, right. here. if he was still training over there, the UFC don't have their crews available to just go next door and film this guy. And, and he's not walking around the halls and he's a constant reminder to everyone in the UFC when this huge guy is walking around the halls of the office, it's, you know, he's he's just very present, isn't he? So whenever and there's a lot of stuff going on at the PI and he's always in the background. You know, I, I was looking watching some stuff that um oh, who was it? Uh it was some some of the contender guys walking around and they're filming those guys watching Ganu. Because he mm. is just a big guy and it's got nothing I don't think that had anything to do with Ngannou's standing. It's just like look at this guy hitting pads. Yeah. He's a, um so no, listen, it's it's very difficult, you know, that the whole promotional thing is difficult. But you go with what's hot. Mm. And right now, oh, he's available. You tell the story because it's a fascinating one. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but you know, Stipe, as you say, can steal that thunder um, and put himself back as the guy that everyone's talking about the most. But, uh, yes, it's a, gr- it's a great fight. I think it's uh, one for the ages, really. Mm. Uh, we're going to be looking back over this over time as well. Yeah, I, man, I can't wait to see the end of this. So, and then we'll transition into Vulcan versus Cormier. So, this one's pretty interesting because Cormier's fought a knockout guy before, and um, you know, I, I think in my mind it still burnt in all the stuff that Rumble did. You know, like the way he knocked out Glover Teixeira was just insane. You know, that's that's one of those scary knockouts. Yeah. Um, maybe not quite as bad as the Alistair one. I actually think probably as far as punches go, just a one punch knockout. That's probably like in my mind, uh, just totally shattered my mind when I saw that. But mm-hmm. um, so Vulcan isn't necessarily um, uh, his power isn't necessarily a new problem, but I'm kind of curious to th- uh, get your thoughts on the rest of his skill set and what makes him different from somebody like Rumble. What can he do to keep himself from falling into the same traps of, you know, getting into the wrestling game and uh, falling into the Olympic trap there? Yeah. So. Yeah, it's they are kind of similar, aren't they? The, the main and the co-main, in a sense, you know, um, with a guy who's had a relatively short UFC career, uh, yeah. getting getting right to the front of the queue, um, and someone who we know and respect very well. But um, I actually went and shot uh, in Switzerland. I was I was the producer for that, so I went back to like his first one of his first gyms uh, and uh, spoke to his old coach. I uh, was there speaking with his mum and his sister. So it's it was really nice for me to to have that addition to the countdown piece. Uh, where he lives is beautiful. It's this beautiful part of Switzerland. Um, when I was speaking with some of my American colleagues, they didn't realize uh, what kind of place Switzerland was. It's like a mm. ski resort. It's beautiful. Yeah. They make watches. They're, they're, um, they're always <laughs> involved in fighting stuff, you know? Yeah, and yeah. They've got one of the baddest men in the world who's emerging as this force. Um, 
He's a, he's a special athlete. And I've, I was with Jimmy Manua earlier today and we were speaking about him. And mm. um, I mean, it might be unfair for me to talk about the nuances that he was telling me in that fight. But I mean, he got blitzed, you know, he yeah. got blitzed. Mm. And clearly, Özdemir has significant power uh, mm. because he, he put him away in, in the clinch. And I think yeah. that Jimmy was, he was actually in a, in a, in a uh, more dominant position uh, up against the fence and, and Özdemir still came away uh, with the knockout mm. and he just keeps doing it, you know. Uh, will yeah. that work against DC? Oh, man, I just don't think it will. Um, and then we're going to see what Özdemir is made of. Mm. Um, so DC's just a horrible fight for anyone. Yeah. He's just that wrestling approach and his striking. Listen, we talk about the wrestling. The man, if he puts hands on you, he's powerful. Mm. Yeah. He just links his wrestling and his striking very, very well. Mm -hmm. That momentum, as soon as he grabs a hold of you, he's he's punching, he's elevating. As soon as he's elevated you, he's already locked you. He follows you down. He's already hit you as you fall. And it's, you know, he's got that all the way through. And uh, Henny is just a massive problem for for anyone, which is why he's... Yeah. the John Jones thing aside, and sure, but uh, you know, DC special athlete. Where do you think that Cormier's head is at the moment after having his 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 previous fight being actually knocked out? I mean, Cormier has had such an incredible streak. He's fought the best of the best, and he's done spectacularly. But to be knocked out the way he was, face down on the canvas, do you think that? changes the way you think or approach a fight or do you think that he's completely erased that and it's not even anywhere in his mindset well i think he's been quite honest i i think if i'm right he's kind of said like he doesn't feel like he's really wearing that belt until he gets another win Mm. i mean there's not he can't worry about john jones he can't affect that situation he can't control it he can't go and fight him again it's not on the table so he has to move on with his life and you know, I, I was lucky enough to spend a little bit of time with DC in, in Brazil. We called a fight card together. And I mean, he's a, he's a hoot, the guy. He really is. And <laughs> he's a true pro. You know, he's been there before. He's lost. He's come back. He's he's won. He's been a champion, um, an Olympian. He, he really is a guy that's ticked a lot of the boxes. So mm. he's got something ahead of himself. He knows that this is an opportunity to legitimize uh, his holding of that belt again. And I expect him to to go out there and, you know, put all of that stuff behind him because it's not John Jones again, is it? It's mm. someone entirely different. Um, and I and I do think that, you know, until Özdemir proves otherwise, you know, you've only got a small amount of people in the light heavyweight division that seem to just be edging ahead of the pack. Mm. And mm. I'd put Alexander Gustafsson in there as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's one thing. Whenever I watch other broadcasts with my friends from just random different sports, you don't necessarily get that fandom feel. And you definitely get that from somebody like Cormier. Like after the Thug Rose knockout, he's just like, Thug Rose, Thug Rose, <laughs> you know, just over and over. So um, it's fascinating, uh, all that stuff. So I can only imagine, like you said, him being a hoot uh, there, yeah. there in the desk next to you. So that's super awesome. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to say uh, about UFC 220? I did want to go ahead and get to some questions here yeah. before we moved on. Oh, Any- uh, no, carry on. No, they great, great card, great fights. I mean, uh, heavyweight and light heavyweight title. Sign me up. Great. 
yeah, such a such a big card to start off um, the year. So, um, so we got a guy by the name of Phil McCracken. Um, he said, "What restrictions, if any, do the UFC place on your commentary? E.g., any banned words, phrases?" And so, there's obviously the some of the more straightforward ones, but I'm kind of curious: is there anything uh, that would surprise us that uh, you kind of have to shy away from? Um. No, I don't think so. I mean, we try not to call it a cage. We call it an octagon. Um, oh, yeah. I would. I like that because of the negative connotations with cage. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's been a while. And I, and I, I love the, uh, when I joined the UFC, like, I can call it an octagon now and, and not a cage because I couldn't do it before. <laughs> um, right. UFC had the octagon. So, so yeah, that, that was one that was fairly easy. We're, we're obviously not allowed to curse and swear. Sure. And, uh, I mean, I, I once had to put out a little uh, response video to some heat I got on a broadcast because over here in the UK, when we go out uh, on BT Sport, they get fined heavily, not just oh. the one time. Every single time that a, a foul language is, is heard on the broadcast, mm. you have to apologize every single time. Mm. I don't oh, want to. Wow. I want to call the fights. I want to call the fight. I want to celebrate wins. I want to commiserate with the, the, uh, those that, that came second. I don't want mm. to sit there and go, oh, yeah, uh, excuse me for the, for the bad language or, or you know, apologies <laughs> for the language in the broadcast. I want to talk about what's relevant, but this mm. is a business. And sure. if you're getting fined thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds, in my eyes, that's money that could be going into new programming for the UFC, you know, the and whatever uh it just it would make life even more difficult for our network partners so uh so yeah that that's just one thing that we have to be mindful of but otherwise i'm not a controversial guy i've never really been warned about anything um no i think you know we don't want to throw any of the athletes under the bus and i wouldn't do that i have too much respect for them so no i just use common sense really and i, and I don't think i've been told off i don't think i've been told off yet no <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah that's that would be an interesting dynamic there so um guys if you're watching hashtag mma on point so i think there are a couple of people in the chat that um are looking to get their questions out so just go ahead and hit us up on twitter it's just easier to catch your questions there there's too many going on right now but um here's here's a nice one a guy by the name of mike linden he asked darren till aside who's the next big thing to emerge from the mma scene in the uk who 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 do you have your eye on? You might have multiple, I, I imagine, but yeah, um, well, it's pretty <clears throat> difficult. I mean, it's, to imagine to best inside the octagon um, mm. is one thing, and then who's going to be a superstar is is another. I mean, Darren, yeah. again, within today, uh, I'm actually going to go and do some filming for a personal project um, in Liverpool with Darren next week. Wow. Uh, so look at that on my own YouTube channel uh, coming soon. Um, I think Brett Johns, uh, coming out of Wales, there mm. is a, you know, he has a, he has the Welsh people behind him, and mm. and that's although they're not a, like a huge amount of people uh, when you compare it to to England, still passionate fans. Yeah. Um, he's a unique individual as well. I've seen him coming up through the ranks. He's taken the hard route to get here. I think he went to Titan and was the Titan FC bantamweight champion mm. when he could have just fought not just just could have fought, but he could have fought on probably less competitive promotions somewhere mm. in the and maybe still got that call up. So a lot of props to him and his team for making that decision. And, uh, and it's paying off, you know, he's, he's ready. 
So he's one guy. Um, Leon Edwards, I mean, the guy, he's very quietly spoken. Um, he's getting his stuff together very, very well. The, the whole Birmingham scene is very strong. Tom Breeze has come home and he's mm. working there as well. Works quite closely with those guys. He's one to watch. So there are those guys. Um, there are a few uh, Bama and Cage Warriors people to look mm. out for. Actually, uh, Leon Edwards' uh, younger brother, I think it's Fabian uh, Edwards. He's mm. he's someone to watch. God damn. You know, he's, uh, huh. he's very... Mm. Um, Nathaniel Wood, um, he's over at Cage Warriors. Had a great... Had a great round, I think, round of the year in their their awards, and he's he's under Brad Pickett's wing. Um, mm. So again, you know, you you've got a really good mentor there for him. There really is a lot there. I've got to shout out um, my teammate Charlie Leary as well. Um, had a fantastic couple of fights over in Brave. Very unlucky uh, with with one of them. Uh, just got a little overzealous for Charlie and and got carried away, got caught, but. Um, yeah, Charlie, I think, is a very experienced fighter who, a couple more wins, I'd like to see him get, get a shout in the UFC. Um, yeah, Sam Patterson, another guy I train with, young, very, very good. We've we got a bunch of guys coming up through the UK Mixed Martial Arts Federation, uh, the amateur scene. And, um, yeah, it's there, there are loads, but I, mm. think, I think I've given a bit of a the different levels of where they're at in their career. So yeah. look at Brett Johns, um, Leon yeah. Edwards, that would be good. And now I feel bad about missing people out. <laughs> <laughs> very, I'm always going to happen. Awful. I'm like a root <laughs> very, very quickly, I just want to, I, I would like to, to jump in. Um, get out, Tom. One of the fighters that obviously make it, I, I mentioned Alex Reed um, earlier on and how he sort of, got that that title shot against Tom Kong Watson when he was on about seven losses. Um, Aaron Chalmers uh, is another reality star. I'd love to gauge your thoughts on on Aaron Chalmers. When you look at his his fighting style, his his couple of fights that he's had in Bama now, where do you where do you see his skill level is at, and whether you think it's more than just a publicity stunt, and whether he actually has a career in mixed martial arts? Well, in all fairness to Aaron, um, he's putting in the work, mm. but outside of whatever whoever he's being matched up against. Um, He's putting in the work mm. and I think he's actually going down to Birmingham as well. I think he goes down to UTC. Yes, yes. The UTC guys were in his corner. So Leon Edwards was in his corner for his last mm. fight. That's I a long trip. That is a long trip. So, mm. I mean, he's got the resources. He has had a successful, um, what do you call it? Reality TV stardom. Mm. Um, actually, uh, my wife uh, works with, with the Geordies. Uh, she's at MTV. So sadly oh, wow. for her. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, but, and by all accounts, I've heard good things about him as a person, you know, unlike some of, some other people that you hear who are in the spotlight. So, you know, he's doing what he can, putting in the work, his skills that I've seen of him training, uh, they look really good, Mm. Uh, but I think people are worried about the tests that he's getting, but you know, Mm. what can you do? The guy's not had a, had an amateur career. He's trying to break the pro ranks and, uh, and yeah, he's, he's faced a few people that haven't had, you know, brilliant records, but they're obviously trying to build him. Mm. Um, the difference with MMA to boxing is you don't really get that building process and it's only afforded to a couple of people. Mm. Um, and he's, he's jumped the queue. You know, there are people that are, that are grinding mm. there and would dearly love the opportunity to feature on a show like Bama, mm. but where's he going to fight? 
You know, you can't put him on the UFC. Um, you can't put him on a really local show because they won't have the security and everything else associated with it. Oh, wow. So where, where does he go? And I think the BAM is probably a good space for him, but let's see him get a couple more mm. decent tests before we start getting really excited. But yeah, listen, a tough way to earn your money. We have to respect that. He's going out there. He's doing his thing. Um, yes, let's see some stiffer tests in the future, but I've got no problem with him being a part of this if he shares in the spoils and helps elevate the game. And from what I can see, he's yeah, he's, he's harmless and he's hardworking. So maybe I haven't seen enough and some people might disagree with me, but that from what I've seen, I'm, I'd just like to see him fight some more stiffer competition. Mm. Fantastic. Um, well, so I want to be respectful of your time. We've been on for a while now. Would you say you have time for one or two more questions? Yeah, let's go for a couple more. That's good. Couple more. Thank okay. You. Yeah, trooper. Thank you. Um, so uh, we got a question from a guy by the name of Dan McConnell. What is your most memorable slash memory best fight ever seen from your days commenting at uh, Cage Warriors? At Cage Warriors. Um, okay. So, well. I'll get to the obvious ones. I think, <laughs> you know what? There was one particular night which stood out and we were in Dublin. So Daniel Bill K David Bill Caden fought mm. Cahill Pendred in an absolute back and forth war. Um, oh. it, a mental fight. Uh, both came out bloodied and bruised and uh, Bill Caden is still, you know, trying to, trying to make his way uh, to the UFC. I think he might've fought in the UFC before, you know, he might, might've had one, one fight. So, Anyway, I see him when I go to Sweden. He's, a, he's an absolute gentleman. Carl Pendred is, again, uh, someone who I would class as now a friend. Uh, I've been around him a lot. I'd like to catch up with him soon. He's got a fascinating story since he's left the UFC. Mm. Um, so that's one. Uh, Connor versus uh, Ivan Bushinger. That, that's got to yep. be up there as well. You know, that really was just a crowning moment for a guy that was already receiving a lot, a lot of hype. So, so that was very, very, very cool and good to be part of that. Um, Rosie Sexton, um, some of her fights. Oh, who else is? Who else is really, really, really big? Oh, that's a tricky one. I'm not very good at this. Uh, I should <laughs> by now, shouldn't I? But I think that particular night was was very big. Um, uh, Brad Wheeler, some of his fights. He had a, a big beef with Ian Entwistle. Uh, that that was that was pretty big. Uh, Joe Duffy. When mm. he looked, actually, when he lost to uh, an Italian guy, he was, I was gutted for him because he was plain sailing. And I think I felt like mm. he's in the final round and he, and he got submitted. That was like a bit of a, oh shit moment. And um, <laughs> yeah, he was a guy that Cade Rose had put a lot of the chips in and, and he was, you know, a very, very, very good prospect. As we've seen, he's, he's come back round. So mm. yeah, that was, oh, and going to Chechnya. That was. Are we allowed to play? Um, well, actually, um, I'm going to need you to apologize for each one of those offenses really quick. Uh, no, no, no. That, no, usually our language is a lot worse. We're we're actually trying to censor it in case being, you had a problem. I'm being so polite right now, John. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. It's actually very, very welcome. Uh, the more laid back, the better. It was fucking nuts. It was nuts, and. Um, going over there i'll never forget that experience so so just that experience as a whole so so yeah hopefully i've picked out a couple of fights i'm sorry if they're a bit obvious but you know they've been played over so many times that they're at the forefront mm. well actually i'd like to piggyback on that um 
Is there any experience that has topped uh, the Brandau versus Connor fight um, as far as what you've called? Because, I mean, I watched that earlier today and I watched uh, the fights specifically that you've called that were some of the bigger ones. And that one just stands out as far as volume goes. I mean, it's palpable, but, you know, on Fight Pass, you know, you can really feel the energy. Is there anything that's quite given you that same, you know, feeling as being in that arena? Um. Probably not. Probably yeah. not. And I think there's a, there's a, the ingredients to make me feel that way were, were so complex from, you know, Conor McGregor and, and the rise of the success of all the Irish folk and the Icelandic fella as well uh, on that night. The fact that it was a smaller arena and mm. the fact that the Irish fans are just fucking sensational. And when they're in a, a more enclosed space, it was just amplified. Mm. Um, that's, yeah, I think all of those things combined made that such a special event. It wasn't just the fact it was a Connor thing because it wasn't. It started with Houlihan. Mm. Um, it was the, just a whole package. It was mind-blowing. And, um, and I've been to a few other places in the world now. Um, but for me, yeah, that, that was very, very special. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll take that one to my grave with me. That that was, um, I'm so grateful to be a part of all of this, and and that that was, yeah, that that was a really lovely, a really lovely event for me. Yeah, you've got to wonder how that even ranks for somebody like Connor, because you know those guys aren't around anymore. Uh, minus um, uh, what, what's his name? You Iceland. Uh, yeah, just Gunner. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Gunner. So yeah, yeah, because Pendred was on that too, you know. So it's just this, you know, kind of thing. And I don't know if that was the press conference after that or not, where they're drinking whiskey together and they're joking around, laughing. Right. But I mean, it's just that's that's like the day with the boys. You've all made it together and you all yeah. won. You know, you didn't yeah. just you just didn't just make it there. You you won. So yeah. everybody's in this elated mood. I mean, I can only imagine what that's like. Um, but uh, so let me move it on. Um, just kind of. Let's see. So this one, this guy's been asking a couple times. He really wants you to uh, answer this question. So <laughs> Jay Tivo, he is a bit of a, um, he, he's always on our podcast. So giving you a shout out, Jay Tivo, you're always on everything. Thank you for <laughs> asking this question. I have no idea what you're talking about though. I have um, an assumption that he's talking about football or as we would call it soccer here in the States. Um, is John Winger in or Winger out? I have no clue what that means. <laughs> okay. Uh, basically, he's the manager of the, of, the, of the football team that I follow. I have to say, I am now a Wenger out. Wow. Got, I've got to go. <laughs> and before, I was, I was kind of hoping that he'd go upstairs. But he's just so... He, I, I, I'm now believing that he's so ingrained in, in everything that actually we would never have a fresh approach until he takes it until he removes himself um, mm. from the workings of the club. And uh, yeah, the club's not in a great way at the moment and it couldn't be like that. You know, mm. after we, we bought a new, a new stadium and after we'd done that and paid everyone back and the bank balance was good, there was no reason for him not to go and spend the money and, and get the players in. He kind of went against his ethos of not, of not spending all that money and all of a sudden drop like 40 million on a player, which was a lot of money at the time. And it's like, oh, hold on a minute. I, I respected you for your crusade and now you've done a U-turn. So I'm confused. Um, and now we're in a, we're in a bit of a spot where, yeah, 
we're not competing where we should be. We've been a very consistent team, but yes, it's a bad season right now, and a lot of people are laughing at us, and a lot of people are like, you guys, you should check out Arsenal Fan TV. <laughs> you want to hear what um, local Londoners are like, and you will need subtitles. Um, it, it, you you almost need a new la- a new dictionary to try and follow what they're saying. But they're all they're a laughing stock. But this channel is so huge because of the characters they have on there. It's mm. hilarious. But um, equally, Arsenal fans get a lot of shit, but other Arsenal fans on the back of it. But uh, it's all good fun. <laughs> cool. Um, Solid question, you- JTVo. Solid question. Always always provides. Killing it. <laughs> uh, do you have anything else, Tom? Before we wrap up. Um, I mean, to be honest, I have a ton of questions, but we're never going to get through them all. So, um, uh, no, I'm, I'm happy for, for, for you, Jason, to, to take the reins. Cool. Um, so with that being said, we need you to stay on for two more hours and we're going to talk American <laughs> politics. Are you ready? Okay. No, I'm just, okay. just kidding. Uh, <laughs> that's the way to go. Just down, uh, uh, just totally kill the podcast, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, I want to thank you so much. Uh, It really means a lot to us. We are about as small time as it gets. We have a bunch of subscribers, but we're still nobodies. So it means uh, a ton to us to have you on here. Um, And I'm really looking forward to you. You genuinely are one of my personal favorites. I really enjoy watching your commentary. Um, Appreciate it. Yeah, so uh, Tom, uh, we we did not think you would reply. You know, it's just (laughs) one of those things, the fact that you did and the fact that you came on and were so generous with your time really means a lot to us. And I know it means a lot to the people listening. So we really appreciate you coming on. Um, And uh, yeah, I guess good luck on everything else, Um, everything that you've got going on with your training, with your crazy veganism, all that stuff, Uh, (laughs) and uh, your cursing. So um, it's all really good. (laughs) But uh, listen, thanks for letting me come on, tell my story, um, interact with uh, your audience as well. I appreciate that. If I may plug an upcoming podcast. Oh, please do. I've got a new podcast that will be coming out very soon called The Journey of Discovery. It's going to be pretty much just me sharing um, some of I do a lot of reading and watching of stuff. Uh, So I want to try and do like a daily, a small daily podcast. But more than that, I want to introduce people to some of my my network of friends and people that I'm meeting um, all the time from various different backgrounds. And I'm a big fan of the long form interview. Mm. So I'll be indulging in that. Plus I'm going out on the road uh, with a video camera and a, and a very good uh, videographer. As I said, I'm going to Darren Till on Monday. After that, I'm going to be doing a little series on um, combat fighters uh, who have a, who are plant powered. So I'm hoping to be a little bit more active on getting some stuff out there. Dan's got his new podcast as well. There will be some crossover, um, I'm sure. And yeah, just uh, looking forward to bringing some different stuff and and obviously, you know, staying up to date with uh, my MMA offering. Great. And uh, so if people want to follow up on all those things, the best way to do that would be probably to follow you on Twitter or social media or how would they follow you? Twitter and Instagram, and then I'm going to set up, if I do set up separate channels and whatnot, I'll let them know. But it's always going to go through my uh, John Gooden UK on Twitter and Instagram. Great. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you for your time. This has been an absolute blast. You've been awesome. So um, to everybody else, um, I've got a video that I have not 
went to sleep yet for so that will be done in the next couple hours and i got another one coming out tomorrow it's gonna be crazy lots of fun stuff for ufc 220 so thank you all so much for watching and we will see you at the next video